Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, so I have a message at you this morning. We finished our series on home and we finished our series on friends. And we've been spending time just gathering together and really just uh, celebrating who we are as a church, who we are as Junction, that we are a home, we are a place uh, in which we are a family. And as people come in, one of the most common things that is said as people walk through the door, I feel like I've come home. And that is the joy of our church, that is the joy of who we are, and the uh, extravagant hearts we have to anyone who walks through those doors. And so we've celebrated that in our series, and we've highlighted that in our series. And now we feel really in our hearts that it's time to start looking out. And I believe that you feel that in your hearts too, that even throughout this morning, through worship, through what Kirsty was sharing, there's a voice that God is speaking through the entire morning as we go through because our new series is called Found. And Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And there are so many yet to be rescued. There are so many yet to be brought home. There are so many faces we have never seen that are going to be sitting next to you. And I'm believing God for such incredible things as we celebrate who we are, celebrate the strength of who we are. Now is the time to expand. There's a fantastic scripture in Isaiah 54 and it says this, enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense. I like that. That's that's great. For you will soon be bursting at the seams and I am prophesying it over this church today and I want you to prophesy about it too. I want out of your mouths to come the very word, let's get ready, our family is getting bigger and we are going to speak these words and push them out into the spirit realm. Your descendants will occupy other nations and, and resettle the, unite, uh, the ruined cities. In the message, it says this, you're going to need lots more elbow room for your growing family. <laughs> Don't you just love the message Bible sometimes? Look, I've got a picture of us all around the table. Um, I came home from a ladies' conference to find a lot of people in my house. And uh, I actually came in to Michael, Kevin's brother, um, stabbing lobsters, actually, killing lobsters. And uh, that actually is a table full of people, and we are eating lobster. It's one of the most amazing meals I have ever had. Michael blessed us with it. But, you know, we've got, we've actually got Brian and Ruth and the family there too. But there's like, I love the challenge of getting as many people around my table as I can. <laughs> And, and it's like there's always, there's always more room. I mean, I can see. That's my seat there, the empty seat. But I can see more room. 
And I want to say to you as a church that we need to make more elbow room. We, need, we can always fit one more in. We can always make more space. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Get ready because you're actually going to shuffle your chair a bit more because someone's going to sit next to you that you've never seen, you've never been introduced to before. And they're going to be all different walks of life. They're not going to be specific one person from a specific place. They're going to be from all different backgrounds, from all different tribes and nations and lands. And that's what I love about this church. We have so many nations in it. And uh, so I want to say to you, let's get some more elbow room because they are coming. And uh, so this is the new series. This is why we have done this new series, Found, because we are about to find some people and bring them home. Who's excited? You know, in 1994, an Italian runner called Mauro Prosperi, I probably need an Italian to say it for me, um, but he was uh, just about to embark on one of the toughest races that you can do. He was just about to set out in 1994 on the the race that runs through the Sahara Desert. Why? I have no idea. But he said that as he embarked, he fell in love with the desert. Because apparently once you you do this run, uh, you are hooked for life. And so what it is, it's a 155-mile race through the Sahara Desert. Now, in 1994, there was only actually about 80 people who were contending. Now, there's about 1,300 people that do it. And you just see this snake going through uh, the, the Sahara Desert. And, you know, I think it's about six days. Well, it got to the fourth day, and he was doing well. He was quite up the front, uh, with the, but he was quite on his own. The, the pace setters had gone on ahead. And he actually found on the fourth day, he was, uh, there was no one to be seen. But he ended up running into uh, uh, an area where a sandstorm came. Now, this sandstorm was vicious. This sandstorm was uh, violent. And it lasted for eight hours. And so here he is, and he has to find some kind of shelter, uh, some kind, and he he found the most sheltered spot he could and just sat there. He he kept walking for a while because he didn't want to be buried by sand. And so he he kept that, and and he waited until eight hours were past. He had to cover himself completely because he said it was just like a, a wind of needles, And so here he is, he's been separated from the rest of the crowd and he's now in a place where this storm had gone on for so long that it was now dark and so he then had to just wait until morning to see where he was. When morning came, he thought, I'll just start walking because I'm probably just need to keep going. So he just carried walking and in the end he realised that I don't think I'm going the right way anymore. And so what he did, even armed with a a compass and a map, he climbed the nearest sand dune he could find. And when he climbed that sand dune, he very quickly realised that he did not recognise anything. 
that the landscape had changed so much so that there was no point of reference left. So that even though he had a map and even though he had a a compass, he could not find a point of reference. And so he couldn't find where he was. And so he couldn't find where he needed to go. And so here he is absolutely lost in the Sahara Desert. He was lost for 10 days. He survived by drinking his own urine and bat's blood. (coughs) Lovely. And he had a few of his supplies on him, which lasted him for a while. But he ended up uh, in a, a Muslim shrine of a man who had died uh, and he, he took uh, um, shelter there, and that's where he found the bats, and that's uh, where he mushed up their insides and sucked them out. So, <laughs> but when he, he just said he did what they do to others, um, but he kept alive. He had moments in his is that he was so desperate. He heard helicopters, he heard a plane, his flare wasn't seen, and he even tried to take his life. But as he uh, slid his wrist, he realized that his blood had congealed so much through because he was so dehydrated. He took that as like, no, I need to live. And so one of the things he did, he thought, I've got to get out of here. And what he thought in his mind as he pursued trying to find his way, all he could focus on was his family. That was what he needed to keep going. When they found him 10 days later, he had wandered 181 miles off course. 181 miles off course. Now, I think we've all been lost at some point, but not quite as lost as that. (laughs) I remember driving back from Aberdeen Airport. We'd only just entered into the city, and I had Heidi and Joe as young kids in the back. It was dark. I dropped Kevin off at the airport, and I was driving back. It was raining hard, and my windscreen wipers weren't working, and I took a wrong turn. And I did not know. I was only going from Dice to to, um, Bridge of Don. And somehow I got so hopelessly lost. And I remember the feeling there is no sign. There are all these dark, small lanes. And I couldn't work out which way to turn. And in my heart, just fear and panic. Just, oh, and I was low on fuel. That was the other thing. And so I was thinking, I've got two young kids in the car and I'm just starting to speak to myself, but I'm speaking out of fear because I just do not know where to turn. I do not know where to go and there is no reference point whatsoever. The kids pick up on my fear, so they start crying. (laughs) So I have two young children crying, low fuel, raining hard with no windscreen wipers and I am terribly lost. Can't phone Kevin, he's on the plane. And so I remember that feeling of feeling so hopeless and thinking, if only I could recognize something. And you'll all have known that that feeling that you have when you are lost. All you want is to be able to see something you recognize. All you want is someone to be able to direct you. All you want is to be able to know, well, 
Which way do I turn? Because even if I go back, I might not turn the right way. And so there's this whole confusion that just comes in and you can end up so hopelessly lost. Just like Mauro did and he got so hopelessly lost because we can get lost physically, but we can get lost in our hearts. We can get lost in our life. And just as the sand dunes change shape and everything change, so it can in our own lives. The landscape of our own lives can change so much so that we feel lost. Because with so much that can happen, that one minute you're walking with someone and then they're not there anymore. Your situation changes so much so that once you were maybe a family unit, but now everything's just separated and gone different ways. The landscape is lost. Maybe you were doing incredibly well in your career and you lost your job, and now the landscape has lost. It is changed. And now maybe uh, you suffered hurt, you suffered lost, or things haven't turned out the way that you thought they were going to turn out, and all of a sudden the landscape has changed. And all of a sudden you find yourself lost because you think there's no reference point. Because I've never been this way before, and I never felt this thing before, and now all of a sudden I actually feel lost. And so there's so much that happens in our life that changes the landscape. And you know, this city has suffered such a change of landscape. This city has been in such a crisis because of the oil crisis that the landscape of this city is no longer the same. I was reading some statistics on this city. 65,000 jobs, both direct and indirect, have been lost from the oil crisis. 65,000. So for 65,000 people in Aberdeen, their landscape has completely changed. And they have, it never, doesn't look the same. This is from 2014. Pubs that have been open for over 100 years are closing down. of hotel rooms are empty. Men who earn £200 a day now earn £200 a week. And some months last year, one car dealership received as many as 400 leased cars back into their possession. Instant neighbour cried out for help because their food bank was suffering so much so that they have a 100 people on a waiting list. And that's what our city has gone through. Huge landscape of change. And I want to say to you today, if we know what it feels to be lost, but we are found, how does it feel for all of those out there whose landscape has changed and are now lost? Whose lives are so radically different that there is no reference point to which they can look to. Houses repossessed. Families torn apart. Families and friends having to move away. Their lives now so vulnerable. And I can tell you now is the time to go and find the lost. Now is the time for the church to step in. 
And so these, our society, our city, our nation needs a reference point mm-hmm. because they look out, they can't recognize anything that is the same. Lives that we have heard today that have been so devastated, that have been so abused, that have so rejected, need that reference point. What I want to say to you today, that this house and this church will be a reference point for those who need to come home. We are uh, going to throw open our hearts and throw open the doors for every single person that needs that reference point. And how does the church be that reference point, become that reference point for people who do not know? You see, our church is going to be a place where people come and be safe. Our church is a place that will be a place where people come and get healed. You know that runner, it took him two years to recover. Two years because of his liver and his kidneys breaking down. It took him six months to, to, to eat solids. And people who have got lost need time to recover. They need to be healed. They need to be set free. They need to be loved back to life. And the reference point of the city and of this will be family. When he went out into the desert and he thought, the only way I can get through this is to actually think about my family. Well, when your family's been broken down, what you need is a family. When you've lost someone, what you need is friends. Where when you're alone, you need to be put into a place where you're not alone anymore. When you're vulnerable, you need to be covered. And I pray that this church becomes that reference point for this city, for people's lives. Um... As, this, as the landscape changes, this is going to be a sanctuary. It is a sanctuary. People have come into this place so hopeless and have found hope, been so rejected and found love. This is a healing house. This is a family. But it's one thing to have a city on a hill. It's one thing to have a home. But how do we get people home? How are you going to bring someone home? Because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And friends, we are the reference point for people's lives. We are those very reference points we are the ones where people can find their bearings again as they look out on a changed landscape i want you to turn to john 4 and it says in verse 7 a woman of samaria came to draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us a well and drank it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know, and we know we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us of these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus became the reference point for a very lost woman. She had had five husbands and the man that she was with now was not her husband. You can imagine, we don't know what happened. We don't know whether our husbands died. We don't know whether she killed them. (laughs) We we don't know whether they separated. But that woman had had the landscape of her heart and life change so many times. She was so lost because when you and I look at her, we go, we know exactly what you're looking for. You're looking for love. That's what you're looking for. And here she is going from husband to husband so lost because every time she's rejected again, every time it doesn't work out, the landscape changes yet again. And so she goes for the the next thing, but that then the landscape changes again. She is so lost, this woman, that when Jesus sees her at the well, he knows how lost she is. But the amazing thing is is that Jesus should never have spoken to her in the first place because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And there he is. But do you know what is? He looked at her. All he could see was value. He didn't look and see the strife and, and the hatred between the Jew and the Samaritan. No, he looked at her and just saw value. Friends, when we go out into our city, into the families and our friends, we can't look at anyone else but valued. We must look at those who are lost and not judge them, but look at them and say, yep, I see your value. He didn't want to condemn her. And so as, as he looked at the landscape of her heart, here she is, and she can't believe that Jesus would actually speak to her. 
And when Jesus is speaking to her, he talks about the living water. And as he talks to her, he gives her yet another reference point, And that reference point is hope. And you and I are to carry that message of hope. He sets it out before her and he says, you know what? I value you. I'm going to talk to you for who you are. And then I'm going to put hope in your heart because I'm going to tell you about a living water that you'll never thirst again. And on that hope, her heart starts to open up a little bit. She starts to climb that sand dune. She's thinking, oh, maybe I can be found. And here she is, and he puts that little bit of hope in there, and then he says to her, she says, I want this. I want what you're talking about. And so then he does this most incredible thing, which you and I probably never dare to do. He goes to the most lost place in her heart, the most broken place in her heart, and he says, go and get your husband and bring him back the most lost place. But in doing that, because he has already given her hope, he's already shown her love because he has uh, spoken to her. Isn't it incredible, actually? There he is, standing there talking to her. And he is that gift of love that she needs. Isn't it incredible that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and there he is standing right in front of a woman that has tried to pursue love all of her life. Yeah. And he says, I give you, I give you the living water. Before you stands a man who can heal your broken heart and is that very gift of love that isn't used, that isn't abused, but covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. I find And Jesus, standing there, not judging the woman, says, go and get your husband. Come into the very lost part so he could literally take her by the hand and lead her home. Got to that very, very lost part so that she says out of her heart, oh, whoa, hey, but I don't have a husband. He goes, no, no, you're right. You've had five. You're so lost. And then he starts to bring her home with it. And he's given her hope. He's made a connection. And he says to her, you're right. And I don't judge you for it. You're right. And I still love you for it. And then he goes way beyond that. And he says, you know, I'm going to tell you actually who you are. Because everybody's crying out to know who they are. That's the confusion out there. Who are we? Who am I? What am I? And as he, as he speaks to her, he then goes from the lost place to the point of reference, this is who you are. You're going to be a true worshipper. You're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. He puts love, he puts hope, he puts value into a woman that he shouldn't even have spoken to. And I want to say to you that Jesus brought all these points of reference into her life, so much so that she suddenly ran back. She left her water pot and she runs back to the men, so excited. And she says this in verse 28. She went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Come 
woman see? Could this be the Christ? Her heart is opened up. Revelation starts to, to come. And she's suddenly in this place. Come and see this. This man knew everything about me, but I don't feel condemned. The adulterer that was thrown at Jesus' feet in the temple... As she was thrown there and everybody else condemned and he said, oh, you without, uh, without sin, throw the first stone. She should have been stoned. She should have been condemned. But he spoke to those who condemned her and said, you throw the first stone if you haven't sinned. They dropped their stones. They walked away. And he said to her, where are your ones that condemn you? They're gone. Well, I don't condemn you either. You are free, don't sin anymore. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of Jesus. And this is the heart that we take. This is the reference point that we take into the world. And so incredible that she goes back and she says, come on, come and see him. And so in John 4, 39, it says, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. She's even celebrating it herself. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. When, uh, then they saw the woman. Now, and they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said. But we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the saviour of the world. Her testimony carried them home so that now they had a testimony. She became the reference point for everybody else who was lost. And I want to say to you, I want to leave you with this this morning because I think it's so incredible. Cast your mind back. If you've been found this morning and you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, I want you to cast yourself back to that moment, that feeling when you gave your life to Christ. That time, that moment in which you were found. I want to leave you with this this morning because sometimes it's so daunting knowing there are people out there who need to be brought home. I want to say to you this morning the most powerful thing that you can do to carry someone home is to tell your story. Your story can never be taken away from you. Your story is real. Not even the enemy can argue with your story. Your story has power. Your story has hope. Your story that says, I was lost, but this was the day when I was found. (laughs) Did someone bring you? Did someone speak to you? What happened when you turned your heart to Jesus Christ? I want to say to you, that's the reference point. That those who are lost, caught in the sand dune, caught in the landscape change, it's the very voice they need to hear. You're the very person they need to see. And with our voice of hope, with our heart of love, with our encouragement, 
I want us to bring people home. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be an excellent speaker. The amazing thing is, John the Baptist was such a strange character. But he was the one who was chosen to announce the coming of the Lord. If you're a strange character, it doesn't matter. If you're covered in camel hair and eat locusts and eat honey, it doesn't matter because your story is so powerful. Your story is going to bring someone home. And I want you to keep it as simple in your heart. Paul said, I have become all things to all men. I found the commonplace. And when you talk to one another out out in the world, you find that commonplace. Yeah, yeah, I was lost. Yeah, yeah, I felt that rejection. But this is where I was led. I felt that fear. And this is how I found love. And lead people through. Friends, I want you to commit this morning to sharing your story. She testified, brought people home, and they found Christ for themselves. And that is what I am releasing out into your hearts, into the life of the church. This is where we are going. We are going to rescue. We are going to restore. And we're going to bring people home to the family. We're going to make elbow room. And we're going to fit another one in so they can come and eat with us. I want you to stay seated this morning. I don't want you to stand up. I want everyone just to stay where they are. Because I'm going to pray for two people. I know I've gone over time. I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for two people this morning. Two types of people. Not two people. Two types of people. And the first person I'm going to pray for this morning is that you actually feel lost. Friend, you may have never come home to Jesus Christ. You may have never found that point of reference, that security, that safety, that love, that forgiveness, that hope, that future. You may never have found that. But you know, the reason you're here is because God wants to bring you home and he loves you. And now is your time to make this your own. Or you may have been wandering around because your landscape has changed so much. You may have given your heart, your life. You may have been found years ago, but the way life has thrown another sandstorm at you, it's like, I can't find my way anymore. And this morning, my friend, I want to say that you're home. You just need to come home in your heart. And allow the church to be a family for you. Allow this place to be a safe place. Allow this to be a place where you're healed. Allow this to be a place where you are loved. And I want to pray for those two types of people this morning. And when I've finished, I just want you to very quickly just lift up your hand and say, Do you know what? That's me. Because as you do that, God's going to start to move and shift things in your life. And he's going, that very indication, that's me, is the very 
reference point you need to say, yep, this is the day that I came home. Father, I just pray for every person in this place that feels lost, who needs to come home. Those who have never made that decision and those who have been wandering around, lost because their landscape has changed. Today I pray for these people whom you love and pray that today, at this reference point, they decide, no, this is it, this is the time I'm coming home. You may have been in this house for a long time, but even your heart has wandered. But let your heart come home. And so, Holy Spirit, will you move upon every heart in this place? And I pray, Father, that as we make more elbow room, that, Lord, we will grow together. So, Father, I pray for everyone who is lost and wandering to be found today in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.